Schöne Grüße von City Breaks. Hello, greetings from City Breaks. Welcome to City Breaks Munich, episode 13, which I'm going to devote to food. You can think of Munich as a cosmopolitan centre, yes, certainly, but one surrounded by lush Bavarian countryside from which all sorts of goodies can be brought into the city and enjoyed. And that they have been over the centuries. I'm going to start, rather unusually, with a quotation from a Robert Graves book, his novel Goodbye to All That, in fact, when in one of the early chapters he's describing the food that he used to eat when he went to visit his Bavarian grandfather as a child. Grandad lived in somewhere called Laufzorn, about 10 miles outside the city, and Robert Graves was born in 1895, so I guess he's writing about the earliest years of the 20th century, and this is how he remembers the plenty that was served up at table. Quote, Bavarian food had a richness and spiciness that we always missed on our return to England. We liked the rye bread, the dark pine honey, the huge ice cream puddings made with fresh raspberry juice and the help of snow stored during the winter in an ice house, my grandfather's venison, the honey cakes, the pastries and particularly the sauces made with different kinds of mushrooms. Also the pretzel, the carrots cooked in sugar and summer puddings of cranberries and blueberries. In the orchard close to the house, we could eat as many apples, pears and green gauges as we liked, and there were rows of blackcurrant and gooseberry bushes in the garden. You can hear, just in that short quotation, a number of things very typical of Bavarian food. The dark bread, the game, so the mention of the venison, the abundance of fruit and vegetables, the particular mention of mushrooms. All of that is a taste of things to come later on in the episode. But I thought we might start with that very Germanic institution, Café und Kuchen, coffee and cake, because that too is definitely very much a Munich thing. Coffee came first to Vienna and then made its way to Munich, and by the middle of the 19th century, the café culture and the drinking of coffee was very much the thing to do of an afternoon in Munich. And there are cafés still in the city today which go right back to that period of time. The Café Luitpold, for example, named after the Prince Regent, of course, opened in 1888, and on its website today it still boasts that it is Das Kaffeehaus in München, the coffee house in Munich, and talks about being ein Münchner Institut, a Munich institution. And one of its taglines on the website is really trying to capture that 19th century atmosphere. It talks about being ein urbanes Kaffeehaus mit Charme und Stil. So, an urbane coffee house with charm and style. It was opened on the Brina Straße, where it still is to be found today, really as an institution to rival the Hotel Sacher in Vienna. It had a massive interior cupola, vaulted glass ceiling, seating for 1,200 customers, amongst whom were such worthies as Ibsen, the writer, and Kandinsky, the artist. But if you go there today, you're not seeing exactly that, because it was demolished after World War II because it had been so badly damaged and rebuilt and today it boasts itself as a Palmengarten, so a palm garden. And sure enough the inside, if you go through the first more ordinary room that you come to, opens up like a massive giant conservatory full of palm trees in pots. Definitely an experience if you want to linger of an afternoon. They boast that they have 25 different Haustorten, so house-made, homemade cakes those huge, very German, cream-filled, fruit-filled, gatto-type things. One, for example, known as the Herrentorte, which boasts six layers. Herrentorte, of course, means gentleman's cake, and it's laced with a bit of alcohol. So it's six layers of marzipan, 
and cream laced with wine. It's got cognac in it and the whole thing's topped off with a very dark bitter chocolate. Also on the menu, Zacher Schnitter, presumably slices of chocolate cake, a little bit like the Zacher cake that you get in Vienna. Obst Turchen, so little fruit tartlets. Apfelkuchen and Apfelstrudel, so apple cake and uh, that flaky apple pastry thing that's so typical of German cuisine. And something called the Prinzregententorte. So the cafe itself, Luitpold, is named after the Prince Regent and one of their most famous cakes is named after him too, Prinzregententorte. This one's got seven layers, said to represent the seven original tribes of Bavaria, and they're made up of things like sponge and chocolate and chocolate cream in various permutations. There's also a very long chocolate counter, said to be about 10 metres long, in fact, where you can buy their legendäre Pralinen, their legendary chocolates, and have them parceled up for you in very small quantities if you balk a bit at the prices and take them home to enjoy. Don't want the whole thing to sound like an advert, so I researched the other cafe, which probably also thinks it's a Munich institution and Das Café House in München, and that's the one called Café Alt Schwabing. Schwabing, of course, is the northerly district of Munich, the one that's the university centre, so the haunt of intellectuals in times past and present. And this one was established in 1887, making it then one year older, in fact, than the Café Luitpold. And I saw a comment on a website somewhere, TripAdvisor, I think, somebody describing this as being, quote, a reminder of the lost age of coffee houses. It too was badly damaged in World War II and has also been lovingly restored. But as you sit there, you might like to think of the catalogue of well-known people who came here. Many of the intellectuals of the day, so people like the writers Thomas Mann and Ibsen and Franz Wederkind, artists like Vasily Kandinsky and Paul Klee, and Lenin himself, no less. And then a third café, which is also just over a 100 years old, is the Café Frischhut in the Viktualienmarkt. You can sit inside and eat café and kuchen, if you wish, but also they do a much more of a takeaway line, so you can buy some goodies and take them away with you. Things like Schmalznudeln, which are described as deep-fry yeast dough, so I'm thinking sort of donuts maybe, but I think smaller, and Stritzeln, which are long plaited buns, and Rohrnudeln, which is a yeast cake baked in the oven with some of those very German fillings of plums and raisins. Other things you might like to look out for in cake shops or cafes all over the city would be something called Dampfnudeln, which means steamed dumplings often served with Vanillensauce, which is really the German for custard, or proper custard anyway, Schneebelle, which means snowballs, little dough balls dipped in all kinds of sweet stuff. Think chocolate, sugar crystals, hundreds and thousands, all sorts. At Christmas, of course, there's Lebkuchen, the very well-known southern German gingerbread, and surely the most famous of the whole lot, the Schwarzwälder Kirschtorte, Black Forest Gatto, which of course really comes from the Black Forest, but of which there is plenty to be bought in Munich. If you haven't actually had any Schwarzwälder Kirschtorte, think chocolate sponge, cream, layers of cherries, kirsch, that sort of thing. Really quite delectable. And moving on, if you can tear yourself away from the coffee and cake emporia in Munich, you could try the food markets of which the very best-known one is the Viktualienmarkt. So it's got the word a bit like Vittles in it, Viktualien, which is obviously an old-fashioned word for food. It too has quite a history. It dates from 1807, when asylum houses that were connected to the church were all cleared away, demolished, 
and the grocers and butchers moved in. They'd been operating on Marienplatz, finding it a bit crowded, and decided there'd be more space here, so over they came and set up their stalls. As it gradually became the central place in Munich to buy food, the Schrannenhalle was built, which you can still see there today. It's a huge grain store. That's where the wholesale markets were held, although today that's not so much what happens. Today it's full of traders' stands. And the location being so central and the market being so famous, these are very much money spinners and they're assigned to dealers by strict criteria by the city authorities and there are said to be really long waiting lists. But about 140 stallholders operate there. You can buy everything from fruit and vegetables or flowers to meat and poultry. They, of course, were the more original things that were sold there. In the old days, it was the place to which people came from the outlying villages and farms bringing their produce. Today, all of that is still there, but it's also surrounded by lots of those very German stand-up eateries where you can buy hot snacks like, for example, Leberkäse, which, although it's got the German word cheese in it, Käse isn't a cheese, it's a meatloaf. And it's also the place to enjoy, perhaps, Weisswurst. Weisswurst means white sausage, a long-standing Bavarian tradition. A pair of white veal sausages have been steamed, flavoured with parsley, with onions, perhaps with lemon. Absolutely no preservatives, because they want them to taste like they did in the old days, when, in pre-refrigeration days, it was said that you really should only eat these early on in the day when they were freshly made. And there's a Munich saying which goes, the sausage should not hear the clocks sound noon. It's very much a breakfast snack, or perhaps a mid-morning snack if you've got up very early. You might know that the Germans are very fond of something called the zweites Frühstück, the second breakfast, but you didn't eat it later on because that was taking a risk. Your Weisswurst will be served in a bowl of hot water with a sweet grainy mustard and a pretzel and you should really indulge in it alongside a glass of Weiss beer. When you're in the Viktualienmarkt, one or two things to look out for. There's a little row of shops called the Metzgerzeile. Metzger means butchers, so it's a tiny street of little butcher shops which were built in about 1860. In earlier times still, in medieval times, there was actually a law that said all the butcher shops had to be in this road. I think they wanted to keep them all together to keep the blood and gore in one place and under control. The tradition has, has stayed and it's still the place where many of the butchers' shops are to be found. If you happen to be in Viktualienmarkt on Shrove Tuesday, you've struck lucky because that's the one day in the year when the Marktfrauen, the market women, come out and do a masked dance. They're celebrating the end of the carnival season. Shrove Tuesday is the last but one day of Fasching carnival. And they're going to have a last day of celebration before the strictures of Lent are upon them. A couple of actual things to look out for. There's a statue of Carl Valentin, the actor-comedian that we talked about in episode 11. His statue's here in Viktualienmarkt. And so is the Maibaum, the Maypole. Maypoles are a very Bavarian thing. Many small towns and villages have them. And this one, true to form, is in central Munich then, in the Viktualienmarkt. Painted blue and white, the Bavarian colours and decorated with signs of traders, dating again from medieval times, when butchers or fruit sellers or beer merchants might put their signs up in a move which I saw rather amusingly described on a website somewhere as a sort of, quote, medieval yellow pages. In other words, they were telling you in the days of illiteracy which traders were to be found in the market. And they were also there for young people who came in from the villages looking for work. They could go to the Maypole and see who was operating there and maybe where they might be able to find a master who would take them on as an apprentice. 
Moving out of Munich just for a moment, it's a Bavarian tradition that little villages try to steal each other's maypoles. They do, in fact, sometimes set up a guard overnight so that this can't happen, because if you don't, the oiks from the village up the road may come along and try and steal your maypole, and if they manage it, you have to pay them large quantities of beer to get it back. And I mention this because, unusually, this tradition actually made its way all the way into Munich in, I think it was 2017, when the members of a men's club in Neufinzing, small town just outside Munich, population 4,300 people, decided that they would take the Munich Maypole away. That would be very funny. And perhaps earn them lots of beer. On the night they struck, the Maypole was actually still in the warehouse where it was waiting to be painted, and they snuck in there and crept out with it, loaded it onto a trailer and pulled it back to their village using a tractor. And then, mindful of the tradition that really this should earn them lots of beer, they set up a meeting with the Munich Brewers Club, who are in fact the owners of the Maypole, to discuss on what terms they might think about returning it. And here's a quotation from a little online newspaper called thelocal.de, which describes how the negotiations went. It was decided that, quote, after hard negotiations, the fleet-handed villagers agreed to give the Maypole back for the price of two hearty meals accompanied by some of Munich's finest beer. They will get the first meal when they give the pole back, and the second when it is erected on May the 1st. Their demand for a lifelong private table at the Oktoberfest was turned down by the Munich Brewers Club. And then there's a nice quotation from one Andreas Steinfatt, who was head of the Munich Brewers Club at the time, and who said, quote, Tradition is what counts, and that includes the risk that the maypole will be stolen. We have to respect it. So much then for the Viktualien Markt, there's a second well-known food market in Munich called Elisabeth Markt on Elisabeth Platz, so Elizabeth Square in Schwabing, the university district. It's named after Elizabeth of Austria. We talked about her in episode four, if you remember. She was Ludwig II's cousin, the one that he named, or a lot of people called Sissy, and with whom he liked to meet up on the Roseninsel on the Starnberger See. Anyway, if you go there, you'll find 3,000 square metres of stalls selling vegetables, meat, poultry, cheese, wine, specialities, and again, food stands. It's very popular with the locals, but it's not as cheap as the Victualian Markt. If you want to go food shopping in Munich, the markets aren't, of course, the only place you can do that. There's a whole host of little shops and the big department stores. And I wanted to mention particularly two of the well-known old established delicatessens which you can find today in the city. The first one is called Kafer, K-A-F-E-R, which actually means beetle, which is slightly off-putting. But anyway, Kafer, which is on Prince Regentenstrasse, number 73, and dates from 1930. A real labyrinth of a shop, or shop with shops inside it, if you like. So there's a little bakery, a meat counter where you can buy things like traditional smoked sausage, a cheese counter where you can get things like Obatster, which is a spicy Bavarian cream cheese. That's got a bit of a history. It used to be made in former times to reuse old camembert, mix it up with some butter and beer and paprika and reuse. I think these days it's probably made in its own right. And then a whole stack of sweet counters and chocolate counters and a lovely wine store with 100,000 bottles in the cellar on which you can draw. And then there's a shop called Dallmeier, on Dienerstrasse, which is at least 300 years old, and was originally the grocer's store which became the supplier to the Royal Bavarian Court. It produces its own coffee brand, which it will serve you in hand-painted porcelain mugs. OK, so if we're going to talk about eating in restaurants, what kind of Munich specialities or Bavarian specialities could you look out for? 
I think it would be fair to say that Munich cooking could be summed up as hearty, very homely cooking, quite meat-based, particularly pork. It's said that two-thirds of the meat which is eaten in Bavaria is pork-based. So if you think you'd enjoy that, things to look out for on restaurant menus would be things like Schweinshaxe, which is roast pork knuckle. Massive great thing, not for the faint-hearted. Or Schweinsbraten, which is slices of braised pork in a beer gravy. If you don't like waste, you'll be pleased to know that they don't stop at any part of the pig. On menus you see words like Ripschen, which means ribs, Züngel, tongue, and Wammel, belly. But if fish is more your thing, then look out for Forella, trout, Forella Blau being baked trout, or Reuche Forella being smoked trout. And then there's the very typical Leberknödel Zuppe, Leberknödel being liver dumplings, Zuppe soup, but it's a meal in itself really, a bowl of soup with a one or sometimes two quite large, think tennis ball sized, knödel in them. Chances are that whatever you eat with your meat will be potato in origin, things like salz, kartoffeln, Boiled potatoes, brat kartoffeln, have been fried. Kartoffel puree, borrowing from the French, is potato puree, or mash if you want to be more British about it. Equally typical, though, would be knödel, served alongside, so dumplings. Zemmel knödel, I've got breadcrumbs in them. Kartoffel knödel, made out of potatoes. And I suppose the most typical vegetable would be the kraut, cabbage. Sauerkraut, pickled white cabbage, or rotkohl, red cabbage. An abundance of vegetables, as we were hearing earlier from Robert Graves. Very typical Bavarian ones would include spargel, asparagus. There's an actual asparagus season which is celebrated in various ways when it opens. A bit like when the new wine comes to Bordeaux. And because of the surrounding forests, mushrooms are very much a thing as well. All kinds of different ones. So there's the ones with a lovely name, Pfifferlinger, which means chanterelle mushrooms, or Steinpilze, which are more sep mushrooms. I've got the menu for the Café Luitpold here, which isn't just somewhere you can have coffee and cake, but which also does meals. And some of what they describe as their Tagesgerichte, so meal of the day really, today's recipe, include, for example, gebratene Lammwürstel, so fried lamb sausages, auf Kartoffel Zwiebelpüree, on a puree of potatoes and onions. Another very Bavarian-sounding thing is called edles Hirschgulasch, some kind of venison goulash, served with potatoes, broccoli and cranberries. Then there's Gebackenes Rotbarschfilet, perch, served with Kartoffelgurkensalat, so a salad made of potatoes and gherkins, and Dillcreme, so a cream sauce flavoured with dill. And then returning to our pork theme, Gebratenes Spanferkel, roast piglet with Apfelsauerkraut, so a sauerkraut flavoured with apples, and Kartoffelknödel, potato dumplings. All of that very Bavarian in sound, although on the same menu there are some more exotic sounding things, often with an Italian hint. So there are risottos and spaghetti dishes and ravioli. As so often, Munich is as much influenced really by Italy and the South as it is by the North German traditions. And then, as a quick aside, I can't resist telling you that there is in Munich what is believed to be Europe's only museum dedicated to the humble potato. It was opened in the 1990s and is to be found on Grafingerstrasse. And in their literature they quote from no less a person than the German poet Goethe, who apparently said about the humble potato, quote, In the morning round, at noon mashed and in the evening cut, that is the way it should be. This is healthy. 
There are no fewer than eight rooms in this museum, the first one of which is dedicated to the history of the potato, particularly references to anything to do with Germany or Munich. So after it's described its South American roots, it goes on to tell us that Frederick the Great of Prussia introduced the potato to Germany in the 18th century and that it has a particular connection to Munich because it was much promoted by one Benjamin Thompson, Count of Rumford, who came to the city to lay out the English garden. Other rooms will tell you about the use of potatoes worldwide and they'll tell you what else you can make out of potatoes. Great long list of things like vinegar, beer, coffee, schnapps and a whole host of other things. And then there's a room showing how the potato has often been a source of inspiration and telling us that in Berlin in 1755, the very first Christmas tree set up was decorated by potatoes wrapped in silver foil. As with so many other things to do with Munich, the guide from the Munich Stadtmuseum gives us some interesting pointers. And actually, perhaps surprisingly, they are a little bit dismissive in some ways about Bavarian food. So, for example, they quote one Helmut Kraltinger, who died in 1986, as saying the following about food in Munich. Quote, in Munich, you can have Italian, Yugoslav, Spanish, Turkish, Indonesian and Chinese food. Other than that, you cannot eat in Munich. So this idea that really it hasn't got its own cuisine, it's just a mix of all things foreign. Quite an interesting reminder that, of course, Munich has been a crossroads over the centuries. And yes, there are lots of foreign influences there. But I think it loses sight a little bit of the fact that there is plenty of Munich fair or Bavarian fair on offer as well. In fact, it goes on to quote the same man saying something equally dismissive. Quote, the food in these restaurants plays a secondary role. It is a kind of garnish for the beer. And while perhaps, as we'll come to in the next episode, beer is Munich's most famous product when it comes to eating and drinking, I don't think that can be denied. I think the idea that food isn't important too is slightly off kilter. And further on in the guide to the Stadtmuseum, there are more points which sound a bit dismissive really. I don't know if that can be their intention. Perhaps it's lost something in translation somewhere because I happen to only have the English copy. Anyway, this is what they've got to say about Munich's food. Quote, Munich's regional cuisine has its roots in dumplings, dishes made from flour and the preparation of offal. Radishes are a particular favourite, with the Münchner Kindl holding one in his hand as an ingredient typical of the city. Munich natives consider the cutting of the radish a ceremony today. It is done with specialised slicing equipment. A 1980 scene by Gerhard Pold, entitled Die Einkehr, which means stopping for a bite to eat, shows how seriously this matter is taken. I really can't imagine what they were thinking of to write that, because for me, a visit to Munich is very much enhanced by all the lovely things you can eat and drink, many of which are very Bavarian or indeed Munich in style. What better treat, for example, than the famous Café und Kuchen in one of those cafes, whether you go for one of the posh ones with a history and think yourself into the same room that was once shared by Ibsen or Thomas Mann, or whether you just go to the restaurant on the top floor of a department store or a little cafe, you won't be disappointed. You probably wouldn't want to do it for every meal, but the Weisswurst and mustard and pretzel combination, perhaps with a glass of beer, that you can have at a sausage stand in, say, the Mark, is a lovely experience. Feels very German, feels exactly what you should be doing in the middle of the Viktualienmarkt in Munich. And if you go in anything like the chilly times of year or the freezing cold, which it certainly is for several months of the year, then what could be nicer than a big warming bowl of Leberknödelsuppe or a large plate of Schweinesbraten mit Kartoffelpüree? 
I think it's changing, but Munich hasn't traditionally been the greatest of venues for vegetarians or vegans. But I think you really can say that the local cuisine is, yes, often hearty food, but they need that for the climate, using ingredients from the surrounding Bavarian countryside. And really, what could be nicer than that? Quite, as the Germans would say, lecker, delicious. Recognising, though, that beer really has huge importance when considering the topic of what to eat and drink in Munich, I've decided to give beer and all things to do with beer their very own episode. So that's what we'd be moving on to next, for what in fact will be our final episode. Going to have a look at the beer itself, going to do a little tour of some of the world-famous beer halls, and, of course, we must give a section to the Oktoberfest, that amazing world-famous beer festival which, for some reason best known to the Germans, kicks off in September every year. So I hope I have whetted your appetite for Bavarian cuisine and got you licking your lips in anticipation of an episode on beer next week. And it just remains for me then to thank you very much for listening, vielen Dank, and to sign off in usual fashion with the very German Auf Wiederhören.